Welcome to the Lojo Show. It's all right. I'll get better at it. Did I just say it? There is no monopoly on good ideas when it comes to cybersecurity. Welcome to the Lojo Show. I am your host, Loverture Jones. I am the founder and managing partner at BlackRock Engineering and Technology. I have over 20 years of experience in cybersecurity, and I am honored to be able to bring some of the experience to you. Today, we're going to talk about ransomware, adding on to what we discussed on our last episode. If you missed our last episode, you should go back and give it a listen. I am joined today by our producer, Jonathan Logan. Good morning. And whatever, Jonathan. (laughs) We just had a discussion about Oscar Mayer. Oh, I can put it in here. Hot dogs and Oscar Mayer, bologna and can, Oscar Mayer, everything, and he didn't know the jingle. So I can put the little conversation in here. I recorded the whole thing. That's fine. You can put the conversation right. in here. We'll put because, it in here. I had a little sound effect, and we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll flash the, back to it. Does that mean we're ready? Yeah, whenever you're ready. Yeah. So we're ready to go. Yeah, this we're ready is, to go. Right? Yeah. No, no test, test, test. Do you want to do a test, test, Is test? that loud and clear? My baloney has a second name. It's M A Y E R. What? You don't know the Oscar Mayer song? No. Are you serious? Yeah, I have no idea what that is. Our listeners only knew that the producer of this show does not know what an Oscar Mayer weenie is or an Oscar Mayer baloney. Well, I, I know it's a brand, Mayer, but I don't but know the, a song. The, the jingle. There's a whole like jingle song. The only jingle I ever think of is like O'Reilly. They're gonna ban you from even like ever coming to a hot dog truck again. Why would I go to a hot dog truck? Why would I go to a hot dog truck? There's the Oscar Mayer vehicle too. Yeah, the wiener, the wiener wagon. The wiener wagon. The wiener wagon. But it has a first name and a second name. Oscar Mayer. And it's Oscar Mayer, but you yeah. gotta spell it. I know the brand, but I don't know that it had but a jingle. But you don't know the jingle. No, I don't know the jingle. Nope. Jeez, I'm old. All right. I know the creditreport.com one. That one's funny. <laughs> freecreditreport.com. Yeah, do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah. F-R-E-E, I do that, one. that spells free. I that was a good one. I you know, these jingles are pretty one. good, though. Let you, like... Oh, yeah, they're made to stick in your brain yeah, and they torture you there. for as long as you live. Well, I mean, yeah, the Oscar Mayer one is, like, I mean, it's <laughs> it's got to be at least 40-some-odd years old. Oh, that's why I don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm over 40. That's true. <laughs> All right. That's probably off topic. We have to probably do that some other time. Today, we're going to walk through a number of different topics. Right? We're going to nail down, one, walking through the minefield of ransomware. This is a discussion that we're going to have regarding ransomware in our lives. That's in our personal lives, in our professional lives, and how that affects the businesses and services, as well as even things like the churches and stuff in our lives. Uh, the next thing we'll talk about, too, is really drawing a major piece around how AI is working in your life right now, and that's artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, how that applies in your life and how it makes it easier. But then we're also going to talk about how it is increasing the capability of malware and ransomware. Uh, and in particular, we'll draw to some real use cases like Uh, with your autonomous vehicle or self-driving cars. Then we'll go through a couple of things like how can you protect yourself? And this is protect yourself personally. Then we're going to talk about protecting yourself in terms of an organization and corporation. 
and in addition to that, we'll talk about this as well from a defense standpoint. We have a lot of listeners that are in the defense industry, and so I do want to make sure that you understand where this falls and where you should be thinking. And then from there, one of the things we will go over to is how can we help from a BlackRock standpoint? How can we help you in this area, as well as some of the other companies, businesses, and solution providers out there that have solutions that help you within uh, making decisions and placing the right security resources in order to reduce um, ransomware attacks and or reduce the blast radius of those attacks on your organization. So let's talk about it in this way first. Why is this happening? Ransomware, why is it so prevalent? Why is it growing? It really comes down to one thing. It is an opportunistic way of hunting for hackers, for hacktivists, for state nations. It's become easier to do it. There are not only organizations, but countries, state nations, and groups that are spreading or that are widespreading training and equipping individuals as well as other groups who have the want as well as the uh, drive to try to use ransomware to their own means. And usually that means money. At the end of the day, it's burglary, right? It's robbery. It's ransom. Pay me so that I give you something that you already had. It's as simple as that. And when it becomes that simple, and then having means like Bitcoin in order to be able to do transference of payments that are no longer within your standard banking and financial transactions across the globe, where there's controls and capabilities in place in order to uh, alleviate that or make it harder to transact. Well, once you have that and someone has a motive, there's plenty of means to do it and there's plenty of ways to get away with it. So that's why it's so prevalent. It's easy, it's quick, uh, it can now uh, circumvent a lot of the security measures we have. And in addition to that, it's lucrative. So billions of dollars are being lost uh, due to ransomware. And that's what we know of from a reported standpoint. There are a lot of folks that just don't report it and just go ahead and pay the ransom. And that's it. I know. How does that make you feel as a regular, just, just a regular dude, Jonathan? I mean, how does that make you feel at this point? Mm, not great. It's, uh, yeah, there's ransomware everywhere. And every day you open up your browser or Twitter or whatever, and there's always so-and-so got hacked, so-and-so got ransomware, so-and-so got whatever. And then I usually have to go to that website like Yahoo or uh, what was that other big one that happened recently? T-Mobile. Mm-hmm. I have to go change all my passwords and do all that stuff. It's a pain. Yeah. I mean, cybersecurity events in general are becoming more prevalent. And honestly, it used to be such a big thing when we hear it in the news. And you see just the, the drive rate and just really the, the listener rate and stuff go up, the subscription rate go up and stuff too whenever you had a an attack that was reported because it was just like, wow, this is what happened. But now it's becoming so much more prevalent that we run the danger of this becoming a normal place in our normal daily existence. For right. like attacks are normal is what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, attacks I mean, honestly, normal. they kind of already are. Yeah, I mean, they're, it is. It's, yeah. it's so normal now where it's just like, ah, oh, we just accept it. And uh, that's where you get a little dangerous. And this is where you find that we are... Uh, we are habitually complacent. Yeah. Right? We are habitually complacent. Um, you know, in the U.S. especially, I mean, if you think about it in terms of, you know, there's several murders per day in the U.S. and it's just like, eh, well, okay, man, things are getting bad. Well, 
I got to go to football practice. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, it is. It, it's becoming so commonplace. But to me, I, I think one of the uh, fears that we have, as well as the realities that we have, is that it just means that you're more likely to get affected by it now. Kind of like identity theft. Like identity theft was mm-hmm. like this weird thing no one ever heard about, but now they can take your identity. They can even take your mortgage out from under you, mm-hmm. like your your um, the title on your house. Yep. Without you even knowing, like it's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. It's absolutely crazy. Um, you know, in addition to that, if you talk about the fact that they're getting even better and more efficient at these types of crimes and at these types of electronic theft and cybersecurity breaches and that they're getting a raise every year for being more effective at it. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. They're getting a raise. They're getting a raise. Yeah. yeah, it's true. You know, they're getting a raise. These criminals, these state nations, I don't care who they are. At the end of the day, I just want them, I'm just going to call the bad guys, right? That works. Bad guy works. Bad guy, bad guy works. works, right? Bad guy. That works. That works. But yeah, it's essentially, it's being, it's being, uh, uh, being rewarded. You know, you're being yeah. rewarded more and more in this case, which means that the deterrent for this is is not there, right? The criminal deterrent for this is not there. You rarely actually catch the people that are involved with this, right? Right? You rarely can uh, assign any type of punishments to who are the actors in this. So here you go. You got a crime without a criminal. Hmm. We know it's there, but we can't find them, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, that's where we are right now. This is this is where we are, and uh, it's only going to continue to increase. Why do I say that? Well, having an increase in ransomware, that's coinciding really with the surge in remote and hybrid work environments now that we work in yeah, uh, in the U.S. because of COVID. The um, but let's not let's not just blame it on COVID. We have been studying for years, going in this direction. Companies have been studying in years going in this direction, right? We we started with kind of like your BYOD or bring your own device to work uh, type of uh, environments. We started with teleworking and stuff, and that's what we called it was teleworking. And now we just have it, now we're like, you know what? Remote work. Forget paying these millions of dollars in rents and stuff in the most high-rated areas in the country. Let's just go ahead and say, you know what? Let's save that money. Let's work from home. People are being more uh, more productive, working harder on that, and in some cases, working actually longer hours, right? Yeah. But with that comes this, is that the bad guys know that everybody's now relying on that remote work. When we look at things like impersonations and spear phishing attacks, right? Uh, more effective, you know, more effective ransomware now that are targeting these social platforms or even these uh, not just social platforms, but also the collaboration sites and platforms, all of these things go up. Because if you go halfway to a remote work environment, yes, you're going to introduce more vulnerabilities into your environment. Because you don't now, you now don't control what network they're coming from. You don't control the endpoint device as you would have if it was coming to your office every day. right? And when you look at even the... Um, even the non-centralization, not decentralization of services and support and stuff from there. These are just introductions of other ways to be able to introduce ransomware, malware, and other malicious activity into your environment. And I don't say that to be scary. I don't say that to be um, um, 
I don't say that to, uh, to, to try to just create you know, panic or so with that. I say that because it's, it is a reality. It is something that you have to think about as a CIO and a CISO uh, and in general when you are running a business or a company or just interacting with uh, the different people that you do on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, being realistic, my home Wi-Fi is not going to be as secure as corporate Wi-Fi. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just not. <laughs> that is definitely likely. The, the other likelihood is this, is that you have your house, you have your home Wi-Fi, you have friends, family, or whichever that come over as well, and they go, hey, do you got a Wi-Fi? And you go, yeah, I sure yeah. do. Here's the password. Well, all in the meantime, you have your device connected to that Wi-Fi. Right. Right? Um, but the other part is not, it's not just the device. It's all of the different services and things that you use, mm -hmm. right? Yep, like your Amazon Fire Stick mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. your um, Alexa that always listens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have those that are there. Uh, worst of all, you have, uh, in some cases, in my house, right? We have kids who are joining or <laughs> joining any and everything, kids downloading are, kids any are the and worst. every application <laughs> they can, uh, either onto their phones or tablets or their other machines that they have, and it. It's, uh, it, it is a constant. Uh, it is a constant fight, you know, in the house and stuff regarding. Hey, you need to secure that. Wait a minute. Don't use that. Don't use that app. Yeah. Hey, I don't want you to use TikTok. Stop that. Oh, TikTok. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Right. These are all things that uh, th that we face right now. Um, doesn't seem bad, but if we don't have a plan when we look at these things and we don't have an awareness of how we're affected by it, that's uh, that's that's trouble for us. And that leads us into the topic about artificial intelligence and machine learning. Let me simplify both of these, okay? Uh, artificial intelligence, we've heard about it, we've seen it. Some of us have been thinking about this since RoboCop, you know, back in the day, Ro RoboCop and in Detroit and stuff. And, I, I do uh, know what that is. You do know what I might RoboCop not know Oscar is. Meyer jingle, but I do know what RoboCop okay, is. Okay, well, so you had RoboCop, right? And, you know, when you were talking about artificial intelligence and how uh, really AI uh, helps you accomplish things more efficiently, helps you accomplish more because of, one, giving you more direct choices based on the topics and subjects and stuff that you are pursuing there, right? Uh, you have AI and things like visual and deep fakes, uh, where you see these uh, recordings of, of like, let's say presidents, like you had Donald Trump and some, you had Biden and others, where you're looking at them, they're on the screen and stuff, and it completely looks just like them, right? And they're speaking and saying things where you're like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. And then you find out later that it was all fake, right. that it was a deep fake, right? Um, so that's one instance as far as where we look at like artificial intelligence. The other portion for artificial intelligence is how that is employed in our daily lives as far as for like our cell phones, right? The tools that are there. Um, when we talk about things like uh, um, translated, translators, real-time translation, right? Mm -hmm. You have headphones now that use artificial intelligence to do real-time translation of any language into English as you listen to it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Right? The human mind can't do that translation that fast for eight different languages right off the bat. Well, but I mean, this thing can. Well, actually, I know I know a family that actually know like 10 different languages and they're all like that. They're, they're freaky, though. That's cool. They're super crazy. That's cool and all. But here's the Normal thing, though. Normal people. <laughs> if somebody's just talking and they're translating that for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, eight languages, same time. I don't care how good you are. Oh, yeah. It takes a lot. You don't have that type of processing power, right? <laughs> okay. But we just mentioned about how much and how 
many things are out there that we're using that have uh, data associated with it. Our phones, our cell phones, our iPhones and stuff, one of the biggest data gatherers ever that they're feeding into these gigantic data lakes at this point, in which case you're running different artificial intelligence algorithms and stuff against that. You've got machine learning as well that is uh, sifting through or uh, going through large amounts of info and really making conclusive, uh, or conclusive uh, coming to conclusive solution sets that are saying, hey, you're likely to do this. Hey, you're likely to do that, right? Right, and then here's that's... a likely place that you should do this, or here's a likely place that you should do that. Right, right. and then like that's where they use AI and like marketing. They take all this data, and then that's where you get targeted ads. Right, like you can even. That's why people make the joke, like, oh, I thought about pizza today, and then I'm getting all these pizza ads. Yep. Like, well, they know you better yep. than you know yourself. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, one of the things that's a big help to me these days is Microsoft Viva, right? Microsoft Viva helps me out significantly because it, you know, it's it, it, it goes ahead and gets just through all my emails and stuff. And uh, sometimes it shows me where I've made commitments inside of the email that I might not have written down. And it goes, hey, you need to make sure that you follow this. <laughs> you need to make sure that you, you know, respond to these folks. You need to make sure that you put this time away for you to uh, uh, to work on this particular item. It's pretty cool. But at the same time, I'm going, holy crap. My life is just a bunch of statistics <laughs> that have been uh, that have been screened and then turns back to me as recommendations and solution sets and in some cases can even just drive my behavior uh in general right it, yeah. it understands my behavior and knows what i'm probably gonna want right i always think about the um michael jackson song mm -hmm. i always feel like somebody's watching me mm -hmm. that, that's that's ai right there yeah. <laughs> yep yep one of the creepy things is that i travel a lot and so when i land and i get back to the airport uh, you know, my Google Maps will pop up with this thing. It was like, hey, your car is right over here. Ugh, that is creepy. I, I mean, it's... I don't know if I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. You are such and such way, way uh, amounts of distance from your car. You're like, uh, yes. But, mm. you know, I, I would say, okay, I, I've bought in. I've bought into this, <laughs> all right? I've bought in. Why is this so important? When we look at uh, how these things just in our consumer lives uh, work, just for our day-to-day -day living and stuff, one, we become accustomed to the ease that it provides to us. Yeah. Um, two, the convenience uh, that we have, you know, with that. You know, there's some things that just generate a grocery list for me because it just sees what my day-to-day -day is and how yeah. I want to receive my I mean, groceries. And or you can even have it where they're in your fridge mm -hmm. and it keeps track of the stuff in your fridge yeah. and sends you a shopping list. Oh, jeez. Yeah. You, uh, have you seen that? Uh, I've heard of it. I haven't gotten that far yet. Um, no, nah, yeah. see, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm mechanical <laughs> everything. I got mechanical doors, my <laughs> network at home. Everything's hardwired. Like, nah. <laughs> it's all mechanical. He thinks he's uh, being... Uh, safe by being a Luddite. A lu what? A Luddite. I've never heard of a Luddite. A Luddite. Is that an Oscar Mayer No, reference? no, it's a person <laughs> that does not accept, like, technology and changes and stuff. Wouldn't that be, like, so Amish or something? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that, 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 is a, that is a characteristic that you would use to describe huh. that community as well. Yeah, no, I still have technology. <laughs> I just, like, don't, certain things I don't trust, I don't like. Well, we, I would definitely, you know, definitely understand, you know, that uh, we each want to absorb this in our different ways. But the reality is, is that the, the train has already left the station. We're in a world of artificial intelligence. We're in a world of machine learning. 
it's going to continue to evolve in that way. And for us as a country to keep up with the rest of the world, are going to have to embrace it. For us to be competitive, we're going to have to embrace it. For us to continue to be a world leader, it is something that's going to continue to progress. You know, this also translates even to our defense, you know, what we do from a defense standpoint. Ransomware, malware, all those things, it's not just us as consumers and companies that are affected. It is our government. It is our national security as well. And so being able to embrace uh, the fact that technology is here, it's going to continue to evolve, and our pace of life is going to get faster and, quote-unquote, more convenient, while at the same time increasing the likelihood of our data being either infiltrated, uh, also in some ways being withheld from us, like with ransomware, and with us having to make the decision of whether to pay a ransom or to report that someone has stolen our data and we'd like help for that. This is going to continue, uh, and this is where we as a society have to put in the different defenses and mechanisms to do that. Let's look at this from a car analogy standpoint for, for, uh, for artificial intelligence and kind of the applicability um, in, in, you know, in this. If we look at our data and information, and let's say we pile this into a car, right? in that car, that data is being taken from place to place to place to place. Everywhere we go, it goes, right? Every place it, every place we are, we can get to it, right? But also, every time we access it, we make it so that it can be accessed by other malicious actors. If we access our data from our cell phone, but don't lock our cell phone and leave our cell phone out, there's the physical component of that. Well, somebody can physically get to your data in that way, right? If someone sends us an email and it has a payload that's not going to be caught by any of our um, endpoint malware or antivirus software or anything like that, but it's just simply executed as code and it gets to go through either our Google connection or Amazon connection or whichever type of uh, connection we have to whatever cloud or repository where we store information and data, well, that's where we introduce these things. We're introducing, we have, the op, we have the ability to introduce code wherever. And if that code is also AI enabled, or it has the ability to process to that or to reach back and process as well as to notify the originator of that, well, guess what? Now we've accelerated, um, we've accelerated uh, the speed and capability that someone can gain access to our information. The complexity they can use to also wait and see where else we connect so that they can kind of uh, piggyback you know, into our work repositories, into more sensitive information. If you're a volunteer or so and you're working with a church or working with another nonprofit, this information can go there as well. And in that case, again, you're piggybacking and bringing ransomware into the organization. As I said, it is not... While, while it can be complex in the problems that, it's, that, it, uh, that it causes, it is not complex as far as for them getting that there. But then when you add the sophistication of artificial intelligence and machine learning there, now everywhere you go, it is learning. It is picking up on what's going on in its environment, the data that's available that's there, and the activities that you as an individual have on a daily basis, as well as your company, if it begins to compromise that, and so that is where the slippery slope begins.
let's not be rambly. Let's just go ahead and cut to the points on this one, all right? Ransomware, easy to use, quick to get it installed, quick to be able to take over whatever it is you need to, lock it away forever, right? People, more likely to pay now because they don't have to report ransomware. Ransomware and the actors of it can operate under the board, so you can't see payments go out for it. You don't know why payments go out for it, so it's becoming more lucrative for the people that do use ransomware. Artificial intelligence increases the capability of ransomware, increases the capability of the threat actor in that case to say, you know what, I'm not gonna ransom these folks, I'm gonna see where else they take me, right? And so they are able to take advantage of an individual, that individual can take that ransomware to work, that individual can take that, work, that ransomware to wherever they volunteer, and guess what, now you have it spreading. Right? From an AI standpoint, if it is indeed using AI, Guess what? That is more information, not only just the data that you have, but you now also have contextual data about where this person goes, what they do, what are some of the patterns and stuff of their life, what are they connecting to, what are the things that are there that we say, hey, here are more targets, right, for ransomware to go to. So it's downstream. It begins with one target, it become many, many, many targets in that case, and then basically it's like pick the most lucrative target and then begin your ransomware attack. So we talked about, um, you know, who are some of these actors that are carrying these out last week. I only discussed like two of these, right? But there are more. Um, you know, we talked about some of the folks from the Soviet, former Soviet Republic. So you've got Revel, Evil Corp, Dark Side, right? These are all iconic pranksters and stuff, Greek pranksters uh, that's there. So there's a, there's a sense of humor that's there, but it's kind of a six of humor because of what you are actually turning these capabilities and what these organizations are focusing on. When we look at why it is happening, you know, you know, again, it, it comes down to the fact that when you find something that works and it's being lucrative in this world, in which case it's now at a billions of dollars uh, level, as far as ransomware and what's being collected, um, it's an incentive now to do it. And the other incentive is, is that you have a very low likelihood of being caught now. And in particular, if we look at it from state actors or hacker groups, or let's say the hacktivist, or even just the, you know, kid that may have the ability or have the technical competency to do this, it's that much more easy to do it now. So AI, artificial intelligence, is an important part that people I don't think quite fully understand about AI. We hear the words artificial intelligence and machine learning now on a daily basis. Uh, when you look and you, I, and we do a lot of hiring and stuff too here, when you look at resumes and everything, you see the words in the resume uh, quite a bit. And when you really kind of dig down to it as far as on what it is, people have a little bit of awareness about it, but they don't really have an awareness of where it's applicable in their everyday lives right now. Every day, we use our phones, our iPhones, the apps and stuff that are within those. Every day we are making this huge record of what we do, right? There's this huge record of what we do. We sometimes even click on 
uh, as we're installing an app, we click on, hey, yes, you organization, I'm giving you permission to use all of my data and info, as well as to have access to my other applications on my phone or even on my uh, laptop or email so that more and more information is collected. The thing is, is that artificial intelligence and being able to have decision-making uh, that's there that's automated or to enhance the quickness of us making decisions based on the options that are that are put before us. Um, these are things that really are accelerating our lives at speed. There are things like, for instance, Microsoft Viva, right? If you've used Microsoft Viva in your emails right now, each day when you get up, it actually has searched through your emails and said, hey, you've made some commitments and hey, you need to follow up on these commitments <laughs> on a daily basis. Very useful, but what else can you use these things for, right? When we talk about autonomous vehicles or even um, driver-assisted vehicles, these are all using artificial intelligence and in some cases, machine learning to do so. Now, we just put some very fancy terms out there, but at the end, if you wanna boil it down, if you have a massive all-knowing lake of information, data and stuff, and you can actually cipher through that and sift through that information and point out intelligent markers and intelligent signatures and intelligent, uh, uh, intelligent perspectives and stuff too from that, you can map that out correctly from an algorithm standpoint that allows you to do more predictive things or to even say, hey, this person loves heavy metal, but they don't like Guns N' Roses. They'd rather like Rat, right? <laughs> or let's let's pick it up a notch here. It's like, hey, they're not really crazy about Travis Scott, but what they really like is future, right? You see this in your everyday lives. And so when you take this and then fold it into things like your vehicle, think about all the sensory that you have. The reason why you have to do so much training and driving and stuff of these vehicles is so that you collect more and more data about the roads, about the lines, about the spatial awareness and stuff that's needed with the sensors and everything that they're putting on these cars, right? And what that allows you to do is to more predictively say, this is the right way for this car to go. If they're on this particular road, this is the right way and right speed limit that you should be at, right? These are things that are constantly created. Now, again, applying what we're talking about in things like driver assist or autonomous vehicles, you take that and apply that into our cybersecurity world. Think about yourself now as the driver or the person that's actually just riding in the car and all the things that you're leaving up to the car or in some cases to your computers and technology to make decisions for you. Where you store your information, how you use that information. Who are you affiliated with? Who do you do business with? What are some of the weaknesses of the things that you do? What are some of your vices and stuff there that can be used against you as well, right? These are all things that are very simple but also complex that allows for, um, that allows for our world to accelerate both in how dangerous it can be for our everyday lives how ransomware could affect us as far as one, locking up critical information that we need access to in order to continue our lives. More importantly too, when we look at 
what are some of the risks that folks really don't want to be, that folks don't really want to recognize, but they're there. For instance, browsing histories, right? Browsing histories, or let's say in some cases, there may be, um, you know, information and stuff out there that uh, you would not want to go public. So that creates a risk. That also creates an impetus for someone to say, you know what, here's information that we have, we can lock it up for you. We're gonna lock it up. And then also, if you don't pay us, we'll release it out to the public. Just that simple, right? What would you pay so that your loved ones aren't, don't know these things, right? What would you pay if your brand or if you're uh, your person, history, and and uh, and, uh, uh, and and personal information is is going to be released, right? All the skeletons in your closet out there. Blackmail. Yeah, blackmail, all the above. And so this is where we get that new level of uh, new level and new dimension of cybersecurity, and how it is continuing to expand very quickly. Um, in terms of what is relevant now, what information is relevant, uh, you know, to folks, it, it's you know, it's it's mind-boggling on how fast this is moving and how fast this is trending. Incidentally, when we look at these types of attacks and stuff too, so cybersecurity, the, the the ransomware attack is actually second, right? And when we talk in, when we take in things like AI and those components there, really the first breach or first capability and stuff that's there that, uh, that, that is being used is the email and phishing attacks. Right? And remember I said that there's a huge tie between email and phishing attacks. When we look at like MIT's technology review, they have email and phishing attacks at 74% and then ransomware or other fast moving cyber attacks, that's at 73%. The interesting characteristic of that is that um, there's a really close correlation there, right? 74%, 73%. And then let's work our way into the attacks on cloud infrastructure. 68% include, or 68% of breaches include that attacks on cloud infrastructure. So just moving to the cloud does not secure you if you're still following the same processes or same method for how you want to um, protect your organization. Then there's the insider threats or data leakage, right? And again, when we talk about email and phishing and attacks, right, there's several things. One, you have insider threats that are malicious and knowing, and then you also have insider threats that are incidental as well, where they're making small mistakes. Individuals in your organization are making small mistakes uh, that are actually leading to a larger data leakage. Maybe it's your credentials that have been uh, compromised. Uh, maybe it's something that you've clicked on that has allowed uh, certain either bots or automated uh, scripts or so to be executed unknowing because it's under your particular privilege or under your name. These are things that all kind of build into each other. Now that we talked about how AI can enable ransomware. Now it's time to talk about how our platforms for protecting us need to continue to be enhanced and put to work in order to stop AI-enabled ransomware. Artificial intelligence, if you're an organization that's large, that has you know, thousands to millions of transactions and uh, you have hundreds to thousands of employees and stuff there, 
there is no way that you can manually track and manually protect yourself just by putting people in place to do it. Because AI is too fast. It's too fast. Yeah. It's too fast. Um, the processing power, the amount of data and stuff that can be synthesized and also then organized and used against you or against your organization in that case, it's too fast. The other part is that you have also artificial intelligence that allows it to circumvent the different types of detection capabilities and stuff you might have as an organization, uh, as well as it can change its patterns and stuff too, so that it uh, looks just like normal everyday business. Everyday transactions, and I'm not talking about just financial transactions, I'm talking about computational transactions and stuff too. Um, files, how you use files, how you use data and information, what actually flags as uh, a potentially suspicious activity. Uh, you can circumvent that using uh, artificial intelligence. So if you're an organization and you haven't implemented or integrated components for being able to review uh, synthesize your, your your logs as well as user behavior uh, in this case or normal behavior on your network you've already fallen behind you're already behind and so yeah your call to action on this is get the help that you need there are some very fabulous companies out there right now who are uh, leading away in this in, in this industry and in this area you have you know areas like dark trace you have got CrowdStrike, you have armis right you have uh, Nozomi, you have all of these different types of companies and organizations that have built these capabilities from an AI standpoint. And I will say the industry has just been very, very slow in adapting these and adopting these and putting them into their networks and putting them into their uh, computation, also integrating it with their cloud environments to be actually successful in defending themselves in this. So if you feel that way right now as a company that, look, we haven't made the right investment, if you're even questioning that, there's a likelihood you haven't made the right investment yet. So this is where your call to action is, is to make that decision, make the decision to protect yourself, because that's it. I mean, you're the only one that can really protect yourself. You know, we've got plenty of means out there as far as for here's what the framework is for doing this. You've got NIST, um, you know, NIST has a framework for doing that. But I would say that the solution companies that are out there right now, and that you see, I mean, you can Google it right now and you can see the solutions, the leaders and stuff in this area. Call them. Have the discussion. Don't sit there and think that you know everything. Call the folks, see what they can do. Allow them to do the pilots. Put the pilots in place. Find out how effective it is. Decide whether you're going to buy it or not. Every single one of these companies do pilots for you. They will do a pilot for you in a heartbeat. You just got to be willing to go, yes, do the pilot. Take the time. Experiment with yourself. See if it works for you from there. Get the outcome and do even, if you need to do, do trade studies and runoffs for it. So Cost there's no excuse. Analysis. Absolutely. All that jazz. Go ahead and get it done. And if you find that you've gotten into this $300,000 and all you got is a PowerPoint, you're doing it all wrong. Period. Especially if you don't do anything after the PowerPoint. Oh, gosh. There you go. <laughs> you donate do anything after getting the $200,000 or $300,000 PowerPoint it's likely that you're not being the most effective that you can be in your job. Follow through. Yeah, follow through. I guess one of the things that, uh, you know, that we continue to get from, uh, from, from clients is, you know, how do you know if you're protecting yourself? 
oh, a long time ago, um, we came up with this, uh, you know, with this, uh, with this term of, uh, you know, risk management, right? Initially, risk management was applied to business concepts, right? Um, risk management as far as on delivery, supply chain, right? Risk management as far as fitting accounting, which accounting system or which type of accounting do we want to do, right? What are the what's the premise of those? Um, now we've also applied it to you know cybersecurity as well as to our daily lives. Well, there is no way to know that you are 100% protected. Especially if you're a large organization. The key to this is that there are ways to evaluate yourself as being protected. And I can tell you, our company, as well as companies I've worked with in the past, have made a lot of money doing assessments for companies. The problem is, is that there are a lot of assessments and there is way too little action given after the assessment, even if the vulnerabilities and risk are clear as day. Something happens when it comes down to, look, we need to put this technology in place in order to protect ourselves from this type of problem that could be a $100 million problem. If you look at an organization and say, okay, yeah, it doesn't make sense. If you are a $2 million organization, it does not make sense to put $800,000 worth of security in place. It really doesn't, right? If you are a $500 million organization, does it make sense to secure yourself, right? Looking at both the tools, your people, the risk that's in the industry, um, the risk as well that you discover in some of your different penetration tests and stuff, doesn't it make sense to act faster because of how fast you can be compromised now? It makes sense. But again, this is where new lines of thinking have to come into play. I would say that my younger CTOs, CIOs, uh, as well as technology leaders in organizations, they have a very good understanding of this risk, right? Those who have been raised in this environment, those who have been a software engineer or so in here and understand uh, really the code aspect of malware, ransomware, uh, other attacks. <laughs> Back in the day, we used to have rootkits. <laughs> we would speak a lot about rootkits. Um, but have an understanding of what is the premise of these types of attacks, what is really the um, you know, functionality that's being exploited, and then uh, from there, realizing what the impacts could be. All right, so to you folks that have to evaluate this, if you look at your organization and say, we're fine, that's already a problem. You can't just say you're fine. One of the hardest things as an advisor, when I'm advising as far as at the CIO or CTO level or CISO level, one of the things that I find is most complicated is really breaking down the barrier of everybody wants to know more than the other person, right? Breaking that barrier down is probably the hardest thing because uh, we're all professionals in this industry, right? We're all professionals and that means that at some point we feel like that we are the best. That's how we compete, right? That's how we position ourselves for the positions that we're in. But unfortunately, 
what that can and does create at times is a leading of saying, well, I'm right, you're wrong, or uh, I know everything, but I'm not going to let you see everything so that you can't report that. Um, this is a fallacy that's within our industry right now, right? Where you may have some very talented people, but at the same time, if you remember, remember and go back to my, you know, to the to the intro uh, for the Lojo show, I said, you know, there is no monopoly on good ideas, and I will tell you right now, I get just as much or just as many ideas from my clients as they do from me. And sometimes even more if you take the aggregate of the clients. Because this world moves so quickly, things like picking the right or picking the right solution and stuff that's going to work for your organization, right? Those are complex. Those are complex questions. What's going to work right for your organization, right? Do you need, is the information so important in your organization that you do need the latest and greatest in AI-enabled anti-malware and, uh, and ransomware type technology? Does your organization need really to uh, put in network, network access control or at the endpoint, control all the endpoints to the organization and make sure that they're managed, right? Do, you know, having the right information available to say, can we go to a bring your own device environment? And the other one is, is, and this is where coronavirus really kind of forced us to think differently as a world is, hey, most people are not going to be working from your internal network anymore, right? Majority of your people are now working from home. They're VPNing in or they have a direct connect or a link to your cloud, you know, your cloud, uh, your cloud infrastructure and they're coming in in that way. Right. But at the same time, there's also now um, external situations, you know, in this case, and that is working from home. You've got many people working there at the house or so. It's very easy at times for things to happen. Like, hey, I accidentally plugged the USB drive into a, uh, my dad's laptop, right? Oops. Dad doesn't know about it. And then later on, the dad finds out, but he finds out in a different way. It's, uh, you know, they're, you know, corporate security folks coming after him saying, hey, you plugged in a <laughs> a USB that was not authorized to be plugged in there. Um, so these little challenges now uh, are exacerbated, whereas it used to be, hey, we can go into that shell and be safe inside of that. Now this expansion also uh, has, has us thinking differently about security. How do you make sure that one, you segment your environment appropriately, and that's virtually, you know, in that case, uh, how do you control access to critical applications to only the people that need them? And in addition to that, how do you protect the organization from the accidental introduction of malware and ransomware into the org? And again, this is where your technology has to meet technology. And it's a hard topic because it can get expensive, but at the same time, how expensive is that technology if it's going to protect um, millions of dollars of uh, possible court fees, um, insurance increases as well from cybersecurity insurance, and you know most of all, fines. And let's talk about that a little bit too. It used to be that if you're managing information and stuff for your client or customer, there was a certain amount of level of material loss and stuff that you would have to prove in order to um, you know, say, hey, I'd like to sue this, <laughs> sue this organization that was supposed to protect my information. 
some of those boundaries are being removed now where you are now more responsible. If you are holding third-party information for clients and customers and stuff, you are definitely more culpable now. Like you can have your internal breaches and you know lose some of your own internal stuff, but most organizations in some way, shape or form are also holding client information. And why? For the same thing. Again, you're collecting data. You are digitally transforming these organizations and making this one big interconnected environment. So you may be holding significant amounts of information about your customers, the people that make up your customers, right? And in addition to that critical information that would be really something that is material loss in the future that would allow a company to say that, hey, look, there's damages, right? We expect to be compensated for these damages uh, from that. And this is becoming more and more prevalent as well because some of these are being removed. Uh, laws are starting to evolve uh, because really what's the first thing that you try to do in order to protect people? You put laws and regulations in place. Even if those laws and regulations are kind of disconnected from what can be the possible, initially that's what goes in place. So again, when looking at how you protect yourself, make decisions about your IT, make decisions about how you uh, give and receive information and data, these are things that you have to be cognizant of in order to get to a point where you are living in a more secure manner and that you are, you do have secure practices. That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. We talked about walking through the minefield of ransomware. What does AI and machine learning have to do with ransomware? We talked about AI applicability to stopping and or managing ransomware. And then last, we talked about how do you know if you are protecting yourself and how can we help? BlackRock Engineering and Technology, we provide a number of different assessments, integration, uh, as well as uh, perspective and stuff too on some of the most complex type of security, you know, security areas. Uh, whether we're talking IoT, if we're talking things like uh, vehicle or other engineering solutions and communications and how, I, how those will work and how do they work securely, we have those types of professionals that can provide that information and provide really leadership uh, in you know, discovering solutions, integrating those solutions, and then also continuously monitoring those areas there. Before we go, I wanted to remind everyone that this month is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. If you follow our social media, you can get some great info on how to be cyber smart. Find resources for you or your end users' education and awareness. If you want to come on the show, you can send us a message on any social media platform or on our website at www.blackingetech.com. With that, we will say goodbye. Have a great week. Stay safe and stay secure.